you need to be in a position to access opportunities that you want in life. And you're not going to do that by just working hard. And so networking, I think, is huge. And I think you have to be very intentional with it. Be intentional on choosing the industry you want to be in, the types of people in terms of what their careers are, what their titles are. Not because titles matter, but because that is a good indicator of if I want to be in this type of thing, sales or customer success or uh, recruiting or whatever it is, those titles will help you start to figure out, okay, these are people that I should be networking with intentionally. And just ask. You have to stop people and ask them and they will help you. I've met so, so many good people that when you stop them and you ask them to be part of something, they are more than willing to. You just have to ask. And so be really intentional about it. Be willing to ask for what you need. It makes a huge difference. Hey, friends, this is your host, Cesar Romero. And you are listening to Beyond the Job Title Podcast, where we share the journeys of successful, underrepresented founders, executives, and professionals in tech. Whether you're seeking inspiration, mentorship, or actionable strategies to advance your career, our podcast is your go-to resource. And in this episode, I'm excited to bring you the amazing story of Aaron Barredo, an underrepresented professional in the tech industry who is paving his own path and is currently leading the go-to-market function of Poseidon, which is a social selling SaaS platform. And in this episode, he shares his journey of growing up in McAllen, Texas, navigating personal challenges, making the pivot into tech. We discuss the importance of self-awareness, self-reflection, the value of mentorship, the impact of building a strong network. And we also talk about the significance of finding opportunities in unexpected places and so much more. So if you're looking for motivation and inspiration, this episode is for you. And for me personally, his story is a reminder that no matter our background or circumstance, we have the power to shape our own path and achieve our goals. I hope you enjoyed this episode as much as we enjoyed our conversation. And if you find it valuable, please consider sharing it with your network because together we can inspire and empower underrepresented professionals in the tech industry. Thank you so much for your continued support. And please make sure to subscribe so that you don't miss out on any future episodes. And that's one of the best ways to support the podcast. And now let's go beyond the job title with Aaron Barreiro. Aaron, thanks so much for coming on the show, Beyond the Job Title, where we feature the stories of underrepresented professionals in tech. And today I'm excited to unpack a little bit of your story into tech, and hopefully we can inspire others uh, through your stories. Uh, and I wanted to start off at the beginning, right? Well, what's a uh, what was uh, like growing up in, in McAllen? Yeah, if you have any story of that resonates with you or that stands out about your time growing up there. For me, growing up in McAllen, it was complicated. I was, when we first got there, my dad was divorced. I actually was born in South Dakota. My dad was in the Air Force, moved to California, got to McAllen when I was like three years old. So my parents were divorced. It was just my dad, my brother, and I. And I lived with my grandma for a while. And honestly, if I were to talk about my youth, really it was trying to run away from who I was as an underrepresented individual. My dad didn't ever speak Spanish. I didn't know anything about the Mexican heritage that I had. And so a lot of it was just battling between, I looked very much like I was from a Mexican background and treated that way, but at the same time, me trying to separate from that. That was me for a very long time, a lot longer than I probably am proud of, but it was a slow process of learning how to overcome that. But I had great memories. I had great people around me. We all go through some difficult things and definitely had some challenges that, that really defined who I was. But yeah, McAllen was my home for a very long time. Yeah, absolutely. What were some of the, those, those challenges that, that you experienced that, that defined how you approach your career later on? I think honestly, the biggest was 
encountered uh, sexual abuse when I was very young. And in Latino households, uh, I remember having a conversation as an adult and being told that's just what mm. happens. And so there wasn't a lot of support around that experience. And I was really young, probably around seven years old, but it marked a lot of how I saw myself, how I interacted with the world. And honestly, for a long time, I tried to figure out a lot of big questions. The person that, that did it was really close to me. And I was trying to figure out how to balance mm -hmm. it all and understand why it happened, who I am, and just asking these huge questions for all of, you know, starting really in middle school and through high school, led into college, where I just spent 10 years trying to figure out who I was. And it led to me becoming a very empathetic person, a very strong listener, a person who really understood who I was. And that has been critical to my entire career, for sure. Did you have any support or any guidance as you were trying to figure out, as you were trying to navigate this, this experience? Yeah, anything, anybody that comes to mind or perhaps a resource or a book? There is definitely one person who comes into mind. His name is Jonathan Gatherman. I didn't meet him until I was in my, probably my sophomore year of college. I did a lot of leadership development and he came to do a training on seven healthy habits for highly effective college students. So based on Stephen Covey's seven habits. And I just fell in love with the training. It was like a three day training. He did amazing work. I was super inspired and honestly, didn't really talk to the guy much. I was a kid, like 20 years old or 19 years old. And um, after the training finished, I just knocked out a really long email, um, sat down and told him everything that had happened to me and I had never told anyone about it. No idea what to expect. And he responded with kindness, with love. And honestly, for me, that was a moment where I was finally able to truly put it behind me mm -hmm. and just focus more on, on all the positive. It wasn't about running away from something anymore. It was now just how do I develop myself to be better generally and, and how I treat people, how I looked at the world, how I approach the world. He was huge. Why do you think you were attracted to those topics of personal development, leadership, habits? Because I'm very similar in that regard. Like nobody told me. I, one day I was just like, I want to be better than yesterday. Right? So I'm, I'm curious about you. What was it that drew you to leadership and, and those topics of personal development? I think it came down to... I was very confused because I was in a situation where someone who was supposed to, who was known to protect me, uh, had done me a lot of mm. harm. And so it was very confusing for me. And that confusion was something that I felt like I needed to figure out. I could not stop ever thinking about, I would just always night when I was at home alone, I would always ask those questions like, who am I? Why am I here? What is my purpose? It all just came down to this confusion of this can't be how things are supposed mm -hmm. to be. There has to be something more. And I think just that earnest wanting to understand things just led to think, a, a really strong chain. And then also uh, when I did my father and I outside of what happened in that space, in that experience, my dad was always there to listen to me and guide me in really deep conversations. And so I think I just had a very good guide to move in the right direction and then be also the personal desire to try and learn. And yeah, I've always been a reflective person. I knew I had, you know, problems that I had to deal with and they still was trying to figure that out. One of them was loneliness. I wanted to always be in a relationship because I always felt alone and I knew that was an issue. And so it was just all these different things of just looking at my life, looking at people around me and trying to just be better. Yeah, that is so powerful, man. Uh, the power of self-reflection, awareness. And asking yourself those questions, even though the answers might not be right away, but just asking yourself those questions and leaning into the answers or the clues that you get, right? As, as you ask yourself these questions of who am I and how can I be better? Now, when you decided to go to college, right, you first started in a pre-med track. Right. But then obviously you decided that wasn't for you and you made a pivot. And I'm curious, what was it that prompted you to decide on that path? And then what was the moment where you were like, you know what, this is actually not for me. 
it was a long time coming. My parents wanted me to be doctors. I had always done well enough in school, was always quote unquote intelligent <laughs> in the GP classes and things like that. But honestly, in high school, I knew I didn't want to be a doctor, really. But that was the only thing like that for a long time, I was going to be a doctor. It was set in stone. I went to a high school called the International Baccalaureate and just an amazing program, especially for me. But there it's very similar to a college. You choose a major, if you will. I chose biology. Biology was always my worst GPA when I was in college. <laughs> my biology GPA was a 3.2 and all of my other classes or my science GPA was 3.2 and all my other classes were 3.8 or something like that. Same thing in high school. So I just didn't have a true interest in the science classes. They were very hard for me to truly get through. I love psychology. I love people. I've always loved talking to people, understanding people, studying people. And so I remember telling my mom I was interested in psychology and possibly psychiatry or being a therapist. And she's like, there's no money in that. Be a doctor. And so that's what I did. I did biology for three and a half years, graduated. And honestly, at the end of college, I had done a ton of things on campus and had a ton of different jobs. I figured I should probably work in a hospital environment just to mm. see how much I'm going to like this. So I did. I got a job as a scribe in my last year of college. So essentially, you're just taking all of the notes for uh, ER doctors. You follow them around. And I did that for a year. I learned two things. I learned that intellectually, I actually do love medicine. It's so interesting. It's so much more interesting in person than what they teach you in the classroom. But I also learned that it just wasn't the job that I wanted to live my entire life. And if I could condense one story that really made me realize that I was not going to be a doctor, it was a couple of patients that came in. One of the patients was just in a really difficult state. We uh, confused, not really acting normally. Mm -hmm. The previous day, they'd been taken to another hospital, done some studies, nothing was found. We did our own studies and we found out that the individual had a stroke. Mm -hmm. And when we got the results back, I went in with the doctor to share those results. We went, told news that changed their lives forever. And we walked out and our lives were not changed. We were completely normal. Nothing had affected us. It was just this moment of realizing people talk about how doctors save lives and all these different things. And it's true. Doctors are amazing individuals. But a lot of their job is also doing a lot of things that they have to just compartmentalize pain and grief and sadness and just act like it never happened. And I just thought about that and said, do I want to do that for 50 or 40 years of my life? Do I really want to have this many situations where I have to say, Forget about mm. this, go home, be with family, and act like it, none of it ever happened. And I said, no, I don't want to. So I took the MCAT already. I decided not to submit my medical school applications and went from there. Now, it's one thing to recognize that a career path is not for you, and especially for Latinos, having the conversation with your parents about, hey, I actually don't want to do this, and I'm thinking about doing something else. Uh, what was the conversation like with your parents, uh, if you know, if you can share? Super difficult. By that time, I had I had honestly created some pretty strong boundaries. Mm. I moved out of my house when I was 19. And by that time, when I made that decision, they had already known that I was going to make my own decisions mm -hmm. in life, thankfully. And so I didn't ask them. I didn't. It was just, hey, mom, dad, I'm not applying to medical school and this is what I'm going to do. And. That was pretty much it. I know that honestly, my career has been confusing to them <laughs> because I've done so many different things and I didn't study for any of it. Um, so I know it's been confusing for them, but they've supported me and they've learned how to support me in that. And I'm super appreciative, of course. What was next after that? Uh, after deciding, hey, you know, this medical school is not for me. What was the next job before pivoting into tech? So there were a few. I really leaned on my experience in college. So like I said, when I was in college, I did more off out of the classroom than in. Mm. So I was SGA president. I was in a lot of different organizations. Uh, and that role really defines just a lot of what I wanted to do. For a while, I wanted to be president of a university because I was very close with our mm -hmm. president at the University of Texas Pan American. I 
the man was just incredible. Uh, I learned a lot from him and I learned a lot from all of the people that I interacted with there. So I did a lot of public speaking and was very confident in what was called student activities on campus. So there was an open student activities position at a community college that I was close to. I applied, I got in. And so I did that for a year. And while I was there, I had an idea for a motivational speaking startup consulting business. I wouldn't have called it consulting at the time. I just thought I was trying to, I was trying to build community through leadership uh, for youth is what I was trying to do. I had no idea how to do it, but I wanted to give it a try. And so I worked there at college for a year and then left to start my own business. I did motivational speaking and leadership development for about a year and a half, two years. And I made not enough money, <laughs> but I learned a lot and it was a lot of fun. I built my own curriculum. I was able to do some speeches in California, throughout Texas, some online. And so was really going down that path of trying to make a business work. But then I met my wife and was not making enough money to do that. So I decided we need to leave that. We wanted to do some things together related to faith uh, and mission work and things like that. And so to make that work, I needed to find a reliable source of income. Mm -hmm. So I started doing contract work. I've always been a great writer and was able to find a few gigs here and there until I found one at a consulting company, started contracting with them, working on their proposals and things like that. The very first proposal I did was for ExxonMobil. It was their first six-figure contract that they were submitting and they won it. And they said, we want you to stay on with us because we think you're good luck. <laughs> and so that was the start of a four and a half year into a construction consulting business and starting sales and different things like that. That was the first step towards then now being where I am today in tech sales. One of the things I find fascinating about your story is that in college, you got involved in, in, in a lot of activities outside of the curriculum. And I think a lot of college students do not take advantage of that. And I think th that's very powerful because you're able to try different things, build your network, put your leadership skills in practice, right? By organizing events and just trying different ventures. And I think that's something that a lot of people should do more of, right? Especially if you're, in, I would argue it's more about the networking and the connections that you build more than the actual content and the <laughs> subject matters. And before I dive into the tech sales pivot, how do you meet your wife, right? Like, what was it about meeting your wife that made you realize, you know what, uh, I think we'll, we'll go into, into nonprofit. Before I answer that, definitely want to reinforce if there is anyone young listening that is in college, being involved on campus, I tell people I learned more out of the classroom than in the classroom, uh, just from putting yourself in a position to be with people always struggle with getting out of school and getting out of college, you get into the real world. And there are just so many things that you don't know and you don't understand. And when you put yourself in a position to learn that in a safe environment, in overall safe environment, um, like college, it's really going to change how you can approach life after you get out. So 100%, I learned so much from all the people that I interacted with. I learned how to Today, a huge thing is C-level communication. Can you communicate with executives? Can you communicate mm -hmm. with people that have CEO, CFO, CCO, CRO, all those titles? I can do that today because I was doing it when I was 19, 20, 20 right. years old. So definitely get involved. As far as my wife, it was one of those things, man, where we met in September of 2017. We started dating in October. And we got married in January of 2018. Oh, wow. <laughs> Fast. Uh, we got, and it was, honestly, it was outside looking in the first month and a half. It looked like a, uh, a plane crashing out of the air because I didn't know Spanish well at all. I met her at my church. I was working with the youth at our church in a place called West Lico, which is a little bit west of McAllen. So I was working with youth there and she studied at a, a Bible college. So they sent her to my church to uh, support, volunteer, part of what they would do at school. And so that's where we met. But she only speaks 
Spanish, pretty much. Uh, she was born in Mexico in Guerrero. And I was not confident in speaking <laughs> Spanish at all. It was a Spanish church, but the youth all spoke English. I was part of them. <laughs> I just was not a confident Spanish speaker. I knew Spanish, but let's say to try and create a relationship with someone that only spoke Spanish, it was bad. The first time I ever tried talking to her, oh, I was, it was very embarrassing. But what helped the most was she was super kind and gave me the chance I think mm -hmm. that's the biggest thing with anyone that's not confident something. As long as someone gives you a chance to work through the nervousness and work through the fear and work through all of the embarrassing thoughts we have about ourselves, it's a lot easier to be successful. So she gave me a lot of freedom and I was eventually able to learn, to learn how to communicate with her. And yeah, we just hit it off. So we started dating and she got out of school. We got married, put a wedding together in a month. And then five months later, we started our mission work in Mexico. She had a commitment already to serve in Mexico. And I was all on board with that. So that's amazing. And that's how you know she was the one because she was kind and she was willing to give you a chance. She saw the effort. <laughs> yes. I hope so. um, awesome. Well, thanks for sharing that story. Uh, I was just curious how you met her. Um, so when, when you decide after the consulting and these projects, you decide to pivot into tech. Right. What prompted that decision and what were some of the things that you, that you learned throughout those projects in construction and, and consulting that you brought into your tech pivot with you? I worked at that company for four and a half years. It was a long time and it really was in a startup environment, not a SaaS startup. It wasn't as fast. We weren't building a product mm -hmm. per se, at least not a, a technology product. but I learned a lot, one, through just communication with all different types of people. A keyword is like collaboration when you go into job descriptions and cross-collaboration cross and this type of collaboration. And do you know how to communicate across? Right. I did a lot of that. For me, one night served as a project manager on different projects that we were implementing. So I was able to work with teams all over the place in the United States. And then I slowly started to help build out a, a certification body that we created. She was essentially the inventor of a very specific strategy mm. in construction. And we built out three certificates for that. And we were starting to certify people globally. And in doing that, I started creating relationships with Latin America and the Middle East. I think at the end of it, I had probably interacted with people on all of the continents of the globe, managing some projects. I had one team that had over a thousand people that are being certified in a place called Oman in the Middle East. I opened up all of Latin America because I had learned how to speak Spanish at a semi-professional uh, language. And so I was able to help people in Argentina and Brazil and Colombia, Peru start taking certifications. So I think for me, the biggest part was one, we were selling it. That first time you sell anything for more than a few thousand dollars to an individual, it starts to give you that confidence of sales is something that transactions are happening every mm -hmm. day and there's money to be spent and there's money to be, to go around. And so that's obviously critical. If you want to go into technology sales, you have to be very confident asking for the budget that you're asking for. So that was huge. And then just that communication has always I've always been someone with a lot of hats on and it has always helped me be in a startup situation. Side and worry about today, very much a startup. I do a lot of things outside of just sales. And honestly, it's something that I love and I thrive in. So yeah, a lot of it, almost all of it applies directly to what I do. Why pivot into tech? Why tech and why not other industry? Yeah. So I was in construction. I, like I told you, I was studying biology and wanted to be in medicine. So mm -hmm. construction was probably the furthest I ever thought I'd ever right. be in. Like never in my wildest dreams did I think I'd ever be in that. So it was getting to a point where a career, a lifelong career was becoming available in that. And the question was, do I want that yesterday? Mm -hmm. So at the end of that, there was an offer to move actually to uh, Saudi Arabia for a big contract that we were just, and I'd already been considering not continuing on with the company. 
And that really was the moment where was like, if I decide to do this, it's going to change the trajectory of our lives for a long right. time. And so really had a conversation with my wife, with myself to say, I don't want to do this. So what am I going to do? And honestly, tech sales was, I think where I'm most happy is that I'm not just in a tech sales role. I am in a startup, mm. uh, very much a startup situation. And so that's something that I'd still really enjoy. Sales can be tough. It's a tough job. It's a job where you, I think everyone should sell, but it's definitely not something that everyone will want to do for a long time. And so to have things to where I can just be in a startup environment that helps me thrive and feel more well-rounded. Mm -hmm. And yeah, sales was the natural transition for me. And yeah, I think it's a lot of fun. SaaS is a fun world because there are so many different ways, so many different things you can sell because it's all products and it's all services. Like you can find some really specific niches that fit what you believe in. And it's, it's really cool. Yeah, I think everybody should definitely sell because we're always selling. We're always selling something, ourselves, product, a service. And I think getting that experience it's so important. Unfortunately, based on what I see in the industry, the positions of SDR, there isn't a clear career path outside of the traditional SDR, AE, and then director, VP. And I think sometimes people don't, they do the SDR role for a year, right? Or 18 months, and then they want to pivot into something else. So it's interesting because people, for a lot of people, sales is like a gateway into tech, right? And then they realize that SDR, man, I, I got to give it to the SDRs out there. It's a lot of intense work. You have to be resilient. You have to be constantly forgetting that you got rejected or, or not forgetting, right? Like just brushing it off and moving on. Because if you get stuck in like a rejection, that's it, game over. So mindset plays a big role in, in sales. And, and I think... Everybody should do sales, but it's not for everybody. You know what I mean? It's if you have the self-awareness of, Hey, you know, I'll, <laughs> I'll burn out in like 18 months, then just have a plan, like, you know, how to pivot outside of that. Um, what, uh, you know, when you made the, sure. the, the pivot into tech, you know, um, what were some of the challenges that you experienced and how do you deal with imposter syndrome, right? Cause Obviously, any time that you pivot into something new, at least for, for me and for, for a lot of people out there, there's this imposter syndrome that comes into play of I'm not good enough or I haven't been in this industry or I, I haven't done this before. And I'm curious if you have any strategies that you have used to cope with this imposter syndrome that, that pops up. Honestly, I think that's why I love what you do with the show is looking behind people's careers and what we do. That's honestly for me today, outside of everything I did in, in college. When I was in college, that seeking piece of really leaning into myself is really mm -hmm. important. I think today one of the biggest struggles for people is they don't spend enough time reflecting. They don't spend enough time asking who am I and all those big questions. And so they don't know when or how to make changes in their life that they should make. So I think number one, always start there. But outside of that, we are so much more than our career. What I've experienced in the past three years, uh, my wife lost her mom. She was kidnapped by cartels. Earlier this year, my sister committed suicide. We've struggled a lot as a family after, after what happened to my wife's mom. We actually adopted her siblings. Mm -hmm. She's one of seven and we brought in four or five of them to raise them, to help them get through high school, get them through college, get them through their own struggles that they were going through. And so we're just so much more than our career. And yes, skills are so important, but just for me, I like to center when fear and anxiety is introduced related to our work. I would always encourage people to look at who they are behind their work, their career, and what they've done, and what they've struggled through, and just understand work struggles, hopefully, 
And I say hopefully because sometimes it is bigger, but hopefully it should never be bigger than what is most important in your life. Family, relationships, the life that you're leading, the person that you are. And so always lean on that. I didn't struggle with imposter syndrome. I haven't struggled that for a while because I've gone through so many things that there's not a thing that I will confront that will make me feel like I'm not able. It goes into a lot of different things. Self-worth is a conversation worth having. A lot of people don't feel valuable, don't feel like they are worthy. And one of the things that I'll tell people is self-worth, people say that we should always be happier. Mm. Happiness is the God-given right or whatever. I think feeling worthy is truly God-given. We are all worthy, period. It doesn't matter what your career is, who you're married to, what you identify as. You as an individual are worthy. Mm -hmm. And if you don't believe that, then you will always struggle with things like imposter syndrome because, yeah, there's always going to be something you don't know. There's always going to be something that you could do better. There's always someone who could do something better than you. It's not about the skills. It's about who you are as a person and how you interact with the world. It'll always help you stand out. Why do you think we struggle so much with self-worth? I have my suspicions, but I'm curious to, to get your thoughts on it. And my suspicions are around social media. I think the comparison game plays a role in that we don't see, we compare ourselves to this person posting their best highlights of their life. And all of a sudden our self-worth, it, it's like under attack, right? <clears throat> so that's my suspicion with the spread of social media. I think our self-worth has been under attack, right? Because as humans, we can't help but compare ourselves to our neighbor. But I'm curious if, if you see, if you have any other theories around why is it so difficult to keep our self-worth in such a high regard? I think how we interact on social media is a result of a, a much deeper problem. I think a long time ago, there was like a collective decision as a society to like really focus on selfishness and this idea of like the American dream. Now that I've spent much more time in Mexico recently, mm -hmm. I realized that the American dream as a culture it is a thing that very much defines who a person is in the United States. And I think, unfortunately, the way that the American dream was created was built on selfishness. And this idea of you always need to take care of yourself and how people define taking care of yourself was comparing success to others was this person has a house and they have cars and they have this and they have a stable job where they work 40 hours a week and all these different things that were defined as success that everyone just said, yeah, I need to go out and get it for myself. And so that's what we've taught and that's been the system that's been implemented in the United States and in a lot of different places. And when that's the measurement, and it's not about who you are and how you treat people and how do you serve others and how do you love others, when it, those are the things that are important, yeah, your self-worth is going to be something that is tied to success and material mm -hmm. things. It's unfortunate. Yeah, it's a systemic systemic challenge, right? And I think it comes down to you as an individual knowing that your self-worth comes from within, right? And not from social media or any material things. When it comes to networking and building relationships, you obviously have had a lot of experience with that. And I wanted to ask you if you have any tips or strategies that you can share with the audience that they could leverage to build their network and to make friends, right, in, in a new industry. I think this is so important, especially for minority communities. Selling, we talked a little bit a while ago about how important it is to sell because we're always selling ourselves. And a lot of times, minorities sell themselves short. Yep. And so learn how to sell is something so important. Learning how to network. What I realized when I came onto LinkedIn and started really engaging on the platform was how important access is. And a network gives you access. Mm. And so what I mean by that is when you're growing up as a Latino, 
the thing that we were told is just work hard, work really hard, work harder than other people. And things are going to, you'll find your way in life. And honestly, I think that's half of the advice because yes, you should work hard. But if you work hard and you don't have access to the right opportunities, Mm. it doesn't matter. You need to be in a position to access opportunities that you want in life. And you're not going to do that by just working hard. Some people will because they're going to find themselves in the right group of people naturally. But overall, there are so, so many people that work their life away and never had the opportunity that they truly wanted. And so networking, I think, is huge. And I think you have to be very intentional with it. Not uh, transactional. I'm not someone who believes that you should just do things to use others. But do be intentional. Do be intentional on choosing the industry you want to be Mm -hmm. in, the types of people in terms of what their careers are, what their titles are. Not because titles matter, but because that is a good indicator of if I want to be in this type of thing, sales or customer success or uh, recruiting or whatever it is, those titles will help you start to figure out, okay, these are people that I should be networking with intentionally. And just ask. Ask for people's time. Be considerate. Don't be abusive of people's time. But more times than not, people's first reaction is not to stop are helpful and they're caring and they're loving. But sometimes we just don't have the time in our head to say, I can stop Mm -hmm. and help. And so you have to stop people and ask them and they will help you. I've met so, so many good people that when you stop them and you ask them to be part of something, they are more than willing to. You just have to ask. And so be really intentional about it. Be willing to ask for what you need makes a huge difference. Absolutely. And I call that the do the homework first, right? And the homework could be research, right? Which a lot of times is research about the person you're trying to reach out or perhaps you are working on a project, right? And you come from a place of, hey, I, I'm doing this. What do you think? Or any advice that you have, right? So the idea is that the person on the other side can at least see that, oh, this this person is actually serious about this project because they, they've done this, right? Instead of coming empty-handed with, hey, can I get 15 minutes on your calendar to pick your brain? Which is probably the worst thing you can ask a, a stranger. I personally don't like the phrase, pick your brain. It just sounds like icky. But yeah, no, it's all about the ask, right? And how you make the ask in a way that is thoughtful and that is related to where you're trying to advance, right? What industry, what role, what career? Is there anybody that stands out to you? First of all, what's your take on mentorship? And second, is there any mentor or anybody that you met a few years ahead of you that stands out, that gave you either a resource or or advice that has proven to be helpful throughout your career. When I started my first business, like I said, I was in this tiny little city called McKellen. Most people don't know about it. Most people, the startup that I was trying to do wasn't super common. And so I definitely felt like I needed a mentor back then. I didn't have one and I sought them out. There were people that would ask for some time and we would meet and we would talk together, but it wasn't a, it was never able to really find my footing. So I think mentorship is huge. And I think it's intimidating to try to do yourself. Uh, It's 100% worth it. It's so important that the very first thing that I did when I started engaging on LinkedIn was actually start a mentoring program. I told my wife, the moment I can give back in a way that I wasn't able to receive help, I want to do it. And so we started that mentoring program. uh, Went really well, so much better than I could have thought. And a lot of times showing initiative will lead to people wanting to be mentors Mm. for you generally. If you say, hey, there's a problem I want to solve that people aren't solving in my direct network, I'm going to go ahead and do it. And now I'm going to ask for a very specific thing because I don't know how to do it. And it just, the more solution driven you are, always the more opportunities are going to come up. You think with the mindset of, I want to solve problems. I don't want to just think about them. I want to solve problems. I want to, act. you tend to put yourselves in, in better positions to, to meet the right people to make them happen. And that was something huge for me. And so in terms of an individual that really stands out, there are probably two. 
There's a guy named Eddie Bottom who does sales, definitely a few steps ahead of me in tech sales. And honestly, what I love about Eddie, the guy is super hired, super intelligent, super like all the things. But when he's with you, like he's with you and he's present and he truly wants to see other people succeed. It was one of the first times where, you know, someone I would say was very successful in their career and what they did uh, actually consistently met with me just because I think that's something huge of a like, true, like strong mentor to where they want to be with you. They want to be, see you be successful and you want to learn from them. The other person would be Dr. Brian Sagarin, just from a personal place. He was, he's been huge for me this year in terms of just helping me have someone to talk to and have someone to lean on. And the guy is amazing at everything he does <laughs> as well. Definitely some incredible individuals, but I've just met so many people general, generally just single experiences that touch your life and you can learn from anyone in any minute. So always be open to try it, be better and, and learn from everyone that you Yeah, have. there's always opportunities to learn. And speaking of LinkedIn, you are someone that has a strong LinkedIn presence. And why do you think LinkedIn is important for a professional, especially if you're from underrepresented background? And any tip that you could give that you could share with the audience on how to maximize your LinkedIn presence? I think it's the most open platform for people to express their stories. Mm. Some definitely worry that it may be too superficial. And yeah, sometimes it can be. But I also think there's something to be said for having a platform to where anyone can actually share their story and people will take the time to listen. And I think the audience on LinkedIn is a lot kinder because of the nature of the platform. What I always tell people is there's a pre-built filter because it's a career platform. Right. And so most of the time, and there's still trolls or whatever you want, however you want to distinguish them, there's still people who are bad actors. But the majority of people use LinkedIn for their career and are not going to do things that would speak poorly of themselves. And it's a, it's a built-in filter that will benefit people that want to put themselves out there and network and tell their story and share with others. So I definitely think it's a great place to be and a great place to really find your footing and find access to different areas. And yeah, honestly, to me, it's my biggest advice would be go out and do something like when you realize how powerful a community can be. I think one of the things that I've learned in the past two years of being on LinkedIn is fascinated by community, mm -hmm. but community works best when it comes together naturally. A lot of people try to create products from community. It's difficult because forcing, that's not forcing, but even offering a community that's been created versus a community that forms together naturally is just so different. And LinkedIn has created a place where people are very like-minded and you can find communities that you fit with. So go and find your community and build something. Do something that will change people's lives. Do something that will have an impact because you're just going to learn a lot more. I love that. And combining the advice you get earlier about self-awareness, self-reflection, knowing who you are first, and then communities, there's a community for anything that you can imagine, right? Once you combine those two, because if you go looking for communities before you knowing exactly who you are and what you want, then you're just going to be joining communities and <laughs> you're going to be overwhelmed fast, especially if they're online, right? Like Facebook group or Slack or LinkedIn group. So I think it's important first what you said about know who you are, know what you want, know what you're looking for, or at least have a clue. And then based on that, look for those communities so that you can engage better, add more value because you'll be interested in adding value to the community, be more engaged. And I'm speaking from experience because I've joined communities and then I just do my intro and then I forget about it. But I guess it's part of the trial and error of trying to figure yourself what community you belong to or what community you want to serve because you cannot serve all the communities out there. That's just impossible. So I think that's the hardest part is know who you are and then choose, I don't know, three or five communities that you can be involved with. Um, it's a big decision, like to truly 
choose to be involved with the community intentionally, it takes yeah. a lot of time um, and it takes time away from, you know, after work, everything else, right? You start everything you say yes to, you're saying no to something else. So yeah, I would definitely, for people listening, I think a good intersection of minorities, there's a really great nonprofit called Color Wave. They do a cohort for minority professionals um, to help them find careers in SaaS, in startups. They do a free cohort, like I said, so check them out. And then for people trying to get into sales, there's SaaS pros. So they actually do training that you can get a certificate with them to try and pivot and they will help try and place you into a tech sales role. So two really strong communities that I've been a part of and, and know the people well. And so would definitely recommend if you want to ask about them, happy to share more about it. Awesome. We'll make sure to include that in the show notes. Awesome, Aaron. Well, I want to transition into the rapid fire closing segment of the podcast. And I'll basically ask you a question and you just give me your top of mind 30 to 60 second answer. And the first question is one of the books that has greatly influenced your career. So I have to say two. One is The Alchemist. It's a fictional book, but it's one of the best books ever. If I ever do start a large business, it would be recommended reading. And then after that, it would be uh, The One Thing, mm. which is something I read right before I got started engaging on LinkedIn. And it just changed my mindset on how you apply self-development because there's a lot of self-help tips, but there's not a lot on how you apply them. The One Thing is very good. Two of my favorite books. And the one thing is simple, but it's complex to put it into practice. <laughs> Especially when you have a family. Nonetheless, it's important, right? Because we can only focus on so many things at once. Awesome. Next question. One of the most worthwhile investments that you have made, and it could be financial or it could be a physical thing, a relationship. Number one, obviously, is my family. What I've done, we've done so much together and we've done things that I never had the chance to one of the things that we did very intentionally last year was my wife and I took her siblings to Mexico City, put them on a plane for the first time in their lives and just showed them what it's like to leave mm. the small little city they're from. And so we've done a lot for them. And that's been something so important for me. Outside of that, just investing in my creativity. Mm. I grew up mostly intellectual mm. or whatever and just never felt like a creative person. And recently... I've learned how to do photography. I've learned woodworking and just opening myself to being a creative person has changed a lot of how I look at the world. So. Two things I want to say, uh, say here, that feeling of paying it forward to your family. I don't think there's a greatest feeling, man. Um, just being able to, in your case, put, put them on an airplane, but just giving them access to experiences that otherwise they wouldn't have access to. I think that's, at least for me, and I'm sure for you, it's like the highest high. It's like, it makes life worth living to be a facilitator of those experiences for your family. And the second one, I always wanted to learn woodwork, but my never was in the environment. My dad was not a carpenter, but I'm always, I've been thinking about that a lot because, yeah, it's like creating things with wood. I, I don't know. I'm not, I'm like... I want to explore that. So if you have any tips for, for beginners, I'll definitely link up with you later. <laughs> or I'm in, I'm in tech sales, so that I can make uh, wooden chess boards and be a landscape photographer. That's what I would eventually love to do as a career. There you go. And sales will definitely transfer to that. Is there a, a quote that you think of often or a mantra that you live by? I used to love quotes a lot. <laughs> like it was one of those quote collectors. Recently, I haven't so much, but one that I truly live by is God is greater than the ups and downs. Mm. And really focusing on the ups because a lot of times people of faith, no matter what your faith is, we tend to lean on faith maybe when things are down. Even when things are up, it's so important to understand that if you do have that faith, for me, there's nothing, there's no moment to where. God is uh, not present. And so let's teach. I love that. You've got to keep your faith regardless of the circumstance. And last question here to wrap it up. What advice would you give those in the audience from 
underrepresented backgrounds that perhaps they want to advance in their career or perhaps do a pivot into a new industry, in, into tech. What advice would you give them in terms of, yeah, how to move forward? I think if there's one thing that has always guided how I've treated my career is opportunity is so important and putting yourself in places to where you have more than one opportunity because we can be so limiting to where we think this is the only way there's only one way to get where I want mm -hmm. to go. And when you limit yourself in that sense, you just, you can get worn out you can get discouraged and you can get down because that's tough. That's a tough path to take to think that there's only a single road towards success or whatever you are looking for in your life. And what I've always done is no matter where I'm going, I know where I want to go. I know what I want to accomplish. And I know there's thousands and thousands of ways that I get there. And I'm okay with that. I'm okay with allowing life and circumstances to be a part of the process mm. and to not be so rigid on how I choose the opportunities that I take. And I always have multiple opportunities. It's huge for me. And it's a big reason why the most basic needs, right? Taking care of our family and what we need to do. Why I've been able to meet it because there's always something out there that exists you're willing to look for it. So look for opportunities. Don't limit yourself. Be flexible. I love that. Have a North Star, but be flexible in how you get there, right? Which is a lot of times we can get fixated. I love that. Aaron, thanks so much for coming on the show, sharing a bit more about your journey and sharing a bit more about, about your career and, and inspiring those in the audience that might be able to relate to your story that it is possible to to pivot and to achieve your goals and to find success in, in whatever endeavor you're pursuing. But yeah, man, thanks so much for coming. Yep. Thank you for having me. Thank you everyone for listening. It's been a pleasure and reach out if you ever have any questions. I'm always happy to help people. So thank you. All right. I hope you enjoyed this episode and thank you so much for listening all the way through. I appreciate you and I hope that you got some valuable information that you can apply to your personal and professional life. If this story resonated with you and you would like to support the podcast, please make sure to subscribe so you don't miss out on any future episodes. Thank you so much for the opportunity. I appreciate you and I look forward to serving you in the next episode.